Welcome to C3 Hobart Online. We hope that you enjoy this message today. If you'd like to get in touch with us, make sure that you listen till the end to find out how. All right, good morning, have a seat. Thank you, team. Uh, I'm going to start the message this morning with something a little different, because um, I'm going to be that annoying preacher this morning who asks you to actually do something, okay? So I'm not just going to let you sit there and listen and play on your phones, okay? In a minute, I'm going to ask you a question, and what I'd like you to do is write the answer to that question on the little colored piece of paper that you were given on the way in the door. That's what that was for. So yes, I hope you grabbed one. If you didn't, stick up your hand now. We've actually got someone who's going to walk around and hand out a couple of pieces of paper. Uh, there we go. Couple up the front here, if you're in the middle. Thank you. Don't be shy. You're going to need one of these. Now, as we get started, I'm going to ask you to do something before I tell you the, uh, the question, and that is take out a piece of paper and draw a horizontal line through the middle of it, okay? Okay, th this, is, this is the easy bit, people, all right? Uh, this is what it should look like, okay? Wow, all right? It's not origami. It doesn't get any more complicated than one line through the single piece of paper. Uh, but before I tell you the question, a couple of ground rules, okay? The first ground rule is that this is not a test, okay? There is no right answer to the question, and you don't have to justify your answer. The second one is no peeking. I am not going to ask you to share your answer with anyone else, okay? And if that person next to you starts to sort of, you know, lean over and look at what you've written, uh, what I want you to do is, uh, is do what my wife did back in grade three when this happened to her and someone wanted to read the note that she wrote to her first boyfriend, scrunched it up and ate it. <laughs> oh, special non-toxic paper has been provided to you this morning, okay? Uh, third ground rule, be honest. So this morning's message, um, it's actually a series just of questions. And so if you want to get something out of it, be honest with yourself. Because you'll get more out of it the more honest you are in how you answer this question. Okay, so when I ask you this question, what I want you to do is write down your first thought answer. Okay? Not a long one, just your first thought above the line, okay? And this is the question. In what way would your life be different if you didn't believe in God? Don't overthink it. Write the short answer, the first thing that jumps into your mind above the line. I'll give you a moment. Okay, now below the line, I want you to write an answer to the same question, but this time I want you to be even more honest with yourself. Or go a level deeper. Again, just take a second.
As I've been thinking about this question, I've been really challenged by it in the last few weeks. And I've realized that over the course of my life, I would have written down very different answers depending on what was going on for me at the time, and in particular where I was at with God. And so the, the way I've structured the message this morning is actually to come up with four different groups of types of answers, okay? And what I'd like to invite you to do is look for yourself and your answer in one of those four groups. You may find you fit in a couple, but look for the responses that reflect what you've written. And what I hope is that you'll see the connection with this Beyond the Boat series that is about putting our life um, into action. So the first thing I'd like to do uh, is actually, well, here are some example answers. So this is the first set of, of answers. But I don't believe in God. I'm too busy struggling with my faith to think about it. I want to believe, but if I'm honest, I'm not sure that I can. I'm not sure what I believe, so I don't know what I would change. And these answers reflect a que the actual problem with the question, don't they? Because the question itself, how would your life be different if you didn't believe, begs the question, what happens if I don't? And that's what these answers have got in common. So that's the first thing we're going to talk about. And if you wrote something like that, I'd like to say two things to you. Firstly, I'm really pleased that you're willing to be that honest. And secondly, I want to tell you that where you're at is okay with me. Now, that second thing might sound a little risky for a preacher to say because, you know, preachers who say it's okay not to believe in God generally don't get invited to come back again. <laughs> But I want to say unequivocally that wrestling with what you do and do not believe is an absolutely fundamental and necessary part of the spiritual life. And, and in fact, I get, I get more concerned about people who say they've never doubted big aspects of their faith than for those who are actually willing to put up their hand and say, there's some stuff I don't get. I'm really struggling with this, and I've got big questions. So let me just take my preacher hat off and hang it up here for a while and tell you a little bit about my own spiritual journey. I divide this journey actually into two very different halves with a pivotal event in the middle. In the first half of my Christian journey, I thought of myself as a, as a role model young Christian, uh, full of fervor and zeal from when I was in my teenage years. I led church groups, I led um, Christian groups at university, I was active sharing my faith in the workplace, I spent a year with a Christian mission group. Who I was was, was all part of my Christian identity. I, it defined me. But then all of that identity... All of that Christian identity I built around myself collapsed very suddenly about 13 years ago, right when my dad died of a terrible lung disease. He was a real hero to me, and the grief of losing him was just horrible. But it wasn't the grief that actually caused my faith to crumble. 
in the year and a half before he died, I was living overseas. And, uh, and as he got sicker and sicker during that time, I was struggling with the decision of do we stay overseas or do we come back? And I was really earnestly praying about this. And I, and I sometimes prayed for a, a healing for him. I sometimes prayed he'd get a lung transplant. But the thing I prayed for most, I said, God, if something's going to happen to him, just get me back. Just get me back in time to be there, to say goodbye. And after months of wrestling with those prayers, I started to feel a real peace. I felt a genuine assurance that something happens, I'm going to be there. And I really thought that assurance came from God. And in the middle of all of that anxiety and worry and uncertainty, I felt a peace. And then I got a phone call that said my dad's gone into hospital. And I jumped on a plane. And when I landed, I, find, I found out that he died when I was halfway over the Pacific. Just hours. Missed it by hours. So all of that Bible meditating on passages about trust, all those prayers, all that committing the desires of my heart, all those assurances of feelings of faith, what happened? I felt so let down by the God I called my friend. And that whole identity and faith that I'd built just, just, just crumbled in the space of a couple of months. I couldn't pray. I did a lot of shouting. <laughs> I couldn't believe. On a personal level, I was just hurting too much. And on a theological level, I, I couldn't couldn't resolve or get comfortable with answers to these big questions. And even coming to church was, I disliked it, would be an understatement. And it's hard even saying that, being here, given where I'm standing here today, but coming into this church was an incredibly different experience, difficult experience for a long period of time sneaking in the back late and sitting up the back corner. It just felt like every Sunday was ripping off a band-aid and exposing my hurt and cynicism and disappointment. And the last decade, ever since then, I've just been gradually trying to find my way back to God. I'm ever so grateful for my family and friends who stuck with me during that time. And so if you this morning, your little coloured piece of paper says something about you're struggling with your faith or you don't believe, then I admire your bravery for setting foot in this place and walking through that door because I know how it can feel in here. I'd also like you to know it's okay to have doubts and disappointments, and questions. 
one of my mentors said to me during that time, he said, the Christian life um, is a life when you carry two bags. And in this bag, it's all the things you know for sure. And in this bag, it's all your questions and the stuff you don't know. And when you start the Christian life, this bag of things you know for sure, it's full and it's organised. But then as you go throughout your life, some of the stuff falls out, becomes lighter. And the bag of questions becomes heavier. And that's okay. God is okay with that. I've come to realise too that having a mature faith, that's part of it. That that maturity is actually not just resolve, is not at all <laughs> resolving the issues. It's actually just learning to sit with them and still somehow trust and still somehow walk with God when things hurt and when things don't go your way. And so if that's you with a big bag of questions this morning, then just one encouragement for you. Keep going. Don't give up yet. I cannot tell you the answer to your question, just like not a single person could tell me the answer to mine. But I can tell you that God is there with you still. And in the doubts and the pain and the disappointments and the emptiness of faith that used to be real, he is still there. And he might be being quiet for the moment, but he is in it for the long game with you. Okay, let's change gears. <laughs> that was heavy. I'd like to move on to the second set of answers to that question of how might your life be different if you didn't believe. I'd stop faking being nice to people that I didn't like. I'd sleep in on Sundays. Wouldn't that be nice? I'd stop feeling guilty about those things, you know, the addictions and the secret. Or maybe I don't know what would actually be different. So what is it? This is, actually, my life wouldn't be very different. And again, if this is you, thank you for your honesty. My encouragement to you is to ponder a follow-up question, which is if you can't identify a specific thing in your life that would be different, then do you actually believe? It's easy to believe the high-level stuff, right? To say the right thing to the right people at the right time. But when no one's looking, what do you actually really believe? If anyone sets himself up as religious by talking a good game, that's self-deceived. That kind of religion is hot air and hot air only. Cutting words, hey? That's the lack of connection between 
what we believe and what we do that Alicia was talking about before. And if this is you, think back to the start of your faith journey. What was it back then? What, what was the spark? What was the conviction from God in that moment that was powerful enough to grab you? And what would you have to do to go back there to that conviction moment? Can I just take a little sidebar for the moment and talk to the young adults? You young men and women and, and emerging men and women are in a really exciting period of your life because it's, it's in those young adult years that you get to build the foundations for who you're going to be in the long term. And you get to decide when and how you start to interact with God. And in that, you can form a habit of turning to Him when you're in the middle of those really big moments and those big challenges, or of listening to the wisdom that's preached out there that says you need to turn inward to yourself and rely on yourself in those big moments. And that habit of who you turn to in those pivotal moments, that's a habit that will probably persist in your life. Because how you start your Christian life will often be how you continue and how you end up. And you can choose to define yourself as a Christian and still yet just bolt a little bit of God onto the side of where you're going in your life and your desires. How you start will often be how you continue and how you end. Okay, back to everyone now. I'd like us to tune in to a video of some other wisdom from a couple of decades ago. And for those of you who watched too many 80s or 90s rerun movies during COVID lockdown, you may even recognize this one. Do you know what the secret of life is? No, what? This. Your finger? One thing. Just one thing. That's great, but what's the one thing? That's what you've got to figure out. All right, so I went to try to buy a cowboy outfit yesterday and couldn't find any. And then I thought I'd practice a cigarette drawl and, and then there's fire sensors and oh, it all just became too hard. But you get, you get the point of Curly's wisdom. So he says the secret of life is, is that one thing. And so I would like to talk to you who are in this group who've got something written on your paper that if you look at it and you go, oh, that's a bit wishy-washy. Have a think about what is the one thing. What is the one thing that you, you actually already know what it is because God's put his finger on it and he's challenging you on it already. I don't need to tell you what it is, but God is already doing that. What is the one thing that would actually make the difference? Do you need to reframe how you think about money? Do you need to trust him in that specific situation that you're going through? that looks too challenging to cope with yourself? Do you need to slow down and say no to a bunch of things because you're not spending time on the thing that is actually most important? Do you need to spend some of that time 
caring for some vulnerable people, some kids, some elderly, some disabled, people that can't do it for themselves? Do you need to deal with those addictions or that addiction? You know, there's the obvious ones. There's the, the substances, the food, the drink, porn, devices, media. And then there's the subtle ones. The needing to constantly manage your reputation to people. Or the habit of speaking negatively about people when they're not there. Or the workaholism. Or the successaholism. What's the one thing that if you actually did it, it would make the most difference in making your faith real and tangible? Okay, on to our third group of answers. I buy a much bigger, better, brighter house, car, boat, jewelry, bling. I'd go out and get stark raving drunk all the time. I'd have an affair or sleep with my boyfriend or girlfriend. I'd tell that person what I really thought about. These are confronting ones. And what are they about? I indulge my every desire. Now, there is a healthy and an unhealthy element to this. On the healthy side, if you aren't completely indulging yourself, and there are some things that you're holding yourself back from or that you, that you are not doing or you are doing that your selfish self would otherwise do, and your motivation for that is because you want to be in a deeper relationship with God, your Father, then that is a really healthy thing. But it can also be quite an unhealthy response. And the unhealthiness... Let me ask it this way. Why would we want to indulge those secret desires if God wasn't in the picture? Perhaps it comes from an image of him where we see him as a strict school headmaster, you know, there to enforce the rules, a killjoy, someone who enjoys seeing us uh, force ourselves to do the right things all the time. And therefore, if he wasn't looking over our shoulder, then we'd go out and have all the fun we want, footloose, fancy, free, because the life of pleasure and fun is what God's holding us back from, right? Could it be that if you're honest, you actually think you're missing out on something by following him? So that thinking comes from a view of God that is wrong. And if we go in, go that way in our thinking, then our motivation for doing the things that he asks becomes all about our pride. Because it's my good actions and my good choices and my goodness which is earning me God's favour. But let me say something else also unequivocally this morning, that God is not impressed with your good choices. He's not impressed with your good attitude. He's just not. You can't impress him and win his approval and win his love with anything you do. 
be at doing the right things or not doing the wrong things. He doesn't want you to do them because they make you feel good. He wants you to want Him. And then it all flows from that. My grandmother, uh, we used to call her Mama. She was a tremendous woman of faith. She died many years ago now, but I have very distinct memories of of being in a church service with her inside this giant, cold cathedral. Uh, And I'm standing next to her, and she's wearing her purple flowered dress with a grey hat, and I can hear her voice belting out the hymns. And one of the hymns that whenever I hear it in church circles, it makes me always think of her is one that was written a hundred years ago. I'd like to show you the chorus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. The things of earth grow dim when we see him. And that's actually what he wants from us. He doesn't want us to make life all about ourselves, fussing over doing the right thing or not doing the wrong thing. He wants those things to just grow dim and us to look up at him, to know that his plans and his desires for us, they are good. And there's no missing out on anything good with him. So that brings me to the last group of answers. I'd probably self-destruct. I'd be lonely. I'd wonder what the point of life was. I'd be purposeless. I'd fear death. So what are these answers about? I'd be lost without him. And if you wrote something like that this morning, then that's a reflection of your tender heart towards God. And I bet you'd had a really deep experience of his power and his grace in your life and that you are just grateful down to your bones. And that place of gratitude is a wonderful place to be because there is no striving and trying to do the right things or not do the wrong things. There's just knowing that you're loved and we are saved from our sins. For the Son of Man, He came to seek us out and to save us because we're lost. And that's whether we are struggling to believe and we're in a season where our faith is weak or almost non-existent because we're in the middle of pain or we're facing some questions that we can't answer. It's also if we're just calling ourselves Christian by name, for honest, hot air. Or if we're proud of our discipline to the commandments, but inside we secretly harbor some desires to break away. We are, we are all, all in deep need of Him. And when we come to the point of acknowledging that, that's when he shows up. That's what he came to seek her out for in those moments. That's when he changes us and that's when he saves us. And that's the sort of faith that's worth living. 
that's beyond the boat. That's different every day because we really deeply get his glory and his grace. And we're going to sing that song in a moment. And I'd encourage you to take the moment with God. In my experience, you don't resolve stuff in one moment. Life's a journey of moments. But you can respond to what's going on in this moment for you. So as we sin and as we look to his glory and grace, respond to him in the way that you need to this morning. Thanks for joining us today at C3 Hobart Online. If you were impacted by this message or you'd like to know a bit more about our church and what we do, you can get in touch with us via our website, c3hobart.org.au. See you next time.